1: Welcome to the Tourpreneur Podcast. Travel industry veteran, Shane Whaley will take you on a journey with fellow tourpreneurs, sharing their tips, ideas, insights, and success stories to inspire you to make your tour business the best it can be. And now, please welcome your host, Shane.
2: Hello and welcome to episode 32 of the Tourpreneur Podcast. Today, we're talking to a public policy researcher, Rob Partigolo, who started a Washington DC tour guide business. And he shares with us how he started the business as well as working full time. So it's a bit of a side hustle to apreneur here, which is again, a really interesting concept for us to study. One of the reasons I was really keen to talk with Rob is that he has a unique way of getting the word out about his tours. And he does that via YouTube. Now, I wrongly assumed when I heard this, first of all, that he was making YouTube videos of his tours and on the tour, the traditional one. But no, he does something very different. And in fact, his channel has attracted over one and a half million YouTube views. And he shares with us on this episode that 90%, 90% of his business is coming from YouTube, he's ranked in the top 10 of tours in Washington, DC, on TripAdvisor. So there's a lot in this story. He talks with us about what video equipment he uses, um, some of his favorite books. He's a Bakun booking engine user, which I think is the first one on Tourpreneur. So there's plenty in this for us to to learn about, especially because he's competing with 150 plus tour operators in DC. So you can check out the show notes for today's episode at tourpreneur.com forward slash (laughs) 32. Welcome to Tourpreneur Episode 32, Rob Patingalo. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Shane. How are you? I'm delighted to get to speak to you today. You've got a phenomenal story about what you're doing down in D.C. with D.C. Trip Hacks, and I'm excited to share how you've grown your business, basically. So maybe you could start off with telling us a little bit about
0: the tours you run at D.C. Trip Hacks. Sure. I run walking tours of Washington, D.C. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. Uh, mostly the National Mall, the Monuments Memorials do a little bit on Capitol Hill as well. And uh, it's a fairly simple walking tour, nothing out of the ordinary. I did add a trivia tour to my list last year, which has been very successful. People are very interested in coming on the tour and playing a little trivia game as we go around and see the sights. And you do that Jeopardy style, I understand. That's right. One thing that I was thinking about when I was thinking about adding a little twist to my regular monuments tour is, you know, something that is fun, but also that has stood the test of time. And I think back, man, Jeopardy! has been on TV for decades and people love it now as much as they ever did. So if I'm going to do a trivia game, I might as well follow a model that works. Great. So you've got the walking tours and then you've also got private tours, correct? That's right. The business actually started exclusively as private tours. So when I started in 2017 that's all it was was just a private tour with me and I wanted to do that because I was doing it as a side hustle I worked a full-time job and I wanted to make sure that if it you know when I went out on tour that it was going to be worth my time and that if it wasn't going to work out, that I wasn't spending a bunch of time spinning my wheels for something that wasn't working. Fortunately, it did work, and the private tours proved to be wildly successful. So that's how we got the start.
2: And how did this all get started? And When did you know that you wanted to get involved with tours? Because you, you have a pretty you know, high-level full-time job, but then tours in your life as well. I mean, when did you know that
0: that's what you also wanted to do? Well, I've worked a professional office job in, here in Washington, D.C., for years. And I also had a second job as a tour guide. I was a tour guide for one of the big tour companies here in town. And I started doing that in 2013. And it was for the simple reason that I was looking to earn a little extra cash. I like to go on vacation, take a trip every once in a while. And that I figured, you know, what could I do for a second job? I really wasn't interested in working at a store and I didn't want to be a bartender or something that had to work late nights. And then I heard about being a tour guide and I thought it sounded great. So I signed up and did that for almost five years before I Went off on my own.
2: Wow. So, five years where you, you learned your trade as a tour guide. What was the moment when you thought to yourself, hey, you know, I, I wouldn't
0: mind running my own tour business? Well, I'd always had in the back of my mind that I would love to run my own business. I love the company that I worked for, but I always thought that uh, it would be nice to be the boss and not to be just the person giving the tour. And I had the eureka moment when I was taking a trip myself several years ago, back in 2016. And I was doing my standard pre-trip research and I was looking up things like what to pack and what were the best areas to stay and how to ride local public transportation. And I found myself on a one of those YouTube rabbit holes that people often go down. And I found a person who was making videos about one of the cities where I was visiting and it was fantastic. It was exactly what I was looking for. The information was useful, the personality was great. And one thing I noticed that caught my eye was that when I went down into the comments of the video, there would be people writing things like, wow, this is so helpful. And uh, when I show up, would you be willing to take me around? Can I pay you to give me a tour of the city? And she always wrote back and said, no, sorry, I'm not a tour guide. That's not what I do. And I thought, well, hold on a second. I am a tour guide and I can make videos and follow this concept. So that's what I did when I got back from that trip. A few months later, I dusted off a video camera that I had in my house, and I just started making the videos about Washington, D.C., and everything went from there. So let's dig into that, because I think this is an important part of your story
2: that may be a little bit different from some of our other guests we've had on the show. So how
0: did you first go about creating videos? Well, I just want to start by saying I didn't invent this concept, and I kind of borrowed it. There's several people out on the internet, on YouTube, who make videos that are essentially the same concept, which is tips for people who are visiting their city. And most of them are not tour guides, and they're not selling tours. Now, some are, and some of them kind of fell into that when people left comments that said, hey, can I pay you to take me on a tour? But I always started off with the mission of using this concept to sell tours. And so from the very beginning, from the very first video I opened with, hey, I'm Rob, I'm a tour guide, and if you want to sign up, head on over to, to the website and see what I have to offer. So that was always the, the strategy that I pursued with these videos. So I get that, but what I'm keen to then know is like you had this idea, but you didn't have a background in, in video production, I take it. No, I think that most people who wind up doing this don't have a background in video production. And if you find any of your favorite YouTube video makers, one fun thing you can do is to go onto their videos page and sort it from oldest to newest and watch some of their oldest videos to see how far they've come. And I feel like that's exactly what happened with me, too. The old stuff is pretty cringeworthy. And with my luck, the video that has the most views by far is the second one that I ever made. So it's definitely not the highest production quality, but people care about the information. They're willing to forgive that. The production quality is not the best.
2: Oh, you're absolutely right. It's the same with podcasting that uh, you know. Episode one of mine is still the the most downloaded, the most popular because I think people will hear say this one, episode thirty two, and go right. I'm going to go back and listen to the first one. And like (laughs) like you say, I cringe a little bit because it was the first one, right? So, uh, so let's talk a little bit about the video production itself. Then, so you say you dusted off a video camera. So, what kind of video were you using when
0: you first started out? So I use the same camera now, three years later, that I used when I started. It's a GoPro camera. It's uh, the Hero 4, which is several models old now. But the thing about those cameras is that every uh, new one that they come out with has some new bell and whistle. But it's really just you know me sticking it on a tripod. So as long as the quality is what I want, then that's ultimately all that it needs to do is to produce a good quality video.
2: So, GoPro is a lot more than just for skateboarders and the adventure crew. So, you're using the, the GoPro uh, to make these videos. I'm keen for tourpreneurs who are listening today to say, Oh, yeah, I need to start making videos. You
0: know, what would you recommend they go out and buy? Uh, nothing. I would say take the phone out of your pocket, put it on the highest quality video setting that it has, and go from there. The phone that you have already probably is just as good or better than a camera that you'd go out and buy for several hundred dollars. Now, one thing I'll add is that the phone you have might not have the best audio. So instead of going and investing in a very fancy camera, you should instead buy a lapel microphone or a shotgun microphone that goes on top of the camera, something that can pick up the audio a little bit better because one of the best practices for video making is that people are often willing to forgive not the best video, but they're not willing to forgive poor audio. And so if they can't hear you, they're not going to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any recommendations of what lapel mics people should buy? I think the gold standard lapel mic is from a company called Rode. They're very big in microphones. And that, it's still not overly expensive, but you could also go on Amazon and get a three-pack of uh, off-brand lapel microphones for 20 bucks. And it's, if you're working indoors, it's not that big of a deal. Now, if you're working outdoors, you want to make sure that you get one that can hold up in the wind or uh, any loud noises, street noise that are going to be nearby. So depending on your use case, I I record almost exclusively indoors. So a simple lapel mic uh, is perfectly fine for me.
2: Sure. So let's think about tourpreneurs who might want to film outside in this case. So they want to film aspects of their tour because they want to put on their website or on their YouTube channel. What other accessories do you think they would need? So for instance, you know, I, I, <laughs> I learned the new word a couple of months ago, uh, gimbal, uh, which I, I didn't know what a gimbal was previously. Is that something you recommend people pick up?
0: Well, I think what you're describing is like a promotional video. And that's not really what I do or what I have used to create my YouTube channel or to draw people to the business. And that's not to say that it's not worth doing a promotional video. But if you want to do that, the strategy might be a little different. So if you're recording outside, the most important accessory is a microphone that can hold up to the wind. Because if you ever listen to a, a video someone made outside on a windy day, all you hear is the wind blowing into the microphone, and it's very distracting, and that's definitely not something that you want to have your uh, audience listening to. But the gimbal is a great accessory in the sense that, uh, and for people who don't know, it's one of those little gizmos. It almost looks like a selfie stick and it holds the camera completely still. So it's like people say it's a buttery smooth picture. I don't know if that's the word I would use to describe it, but it's, it's very still, no shaking, no hand jumping up and down, anything like that. And so it does produce a really high quality video for a relatively low cost. And I do own one. I don't use it all the time, but I do have one and it's, it's a fun little accessory to have.
2: Yeah. So when you're filming indoors, how are you holding the phone
0: up? It's on a tripod. And is there a particular company or a particular tripod you recommend? I think I have a tripod that uh, I got on Amazon 10 years ago. It probably isn't even in production anymore. Tripods are the kind of thing where you could buy one for $20 and you could spend $1,000 on one. And for professionals, it's absolutely worth every penny that you can get for the you know, fancy Italian-branded tripod. And for me, it doesn't move anywhere. It only stays in one room. So it's perfectly fine to have the simple one. So from what you're saying,
2: then, do you feel, well, let's, let me, let me tackle it this way. So you produce, I was looking at your YouTube channel earlier this week. So you produce helpful resources and tips for people who are visiting DC. It's not necessarily, you know, buy my tour, buy my tour. This is what we do. It's what to pack in March. If you're coming to DC, for instance, So tell me how that strategy is working out for you in terms of how is that helping your business?
0: Yeah, so I would describe the YouTube channel as, in one sentence, tips for people who are visiting Washington, D.C. And every single video has two sales calls to action in them. At the very beginning, I say, I'm Rob, I'm a tour guide in Washington, D.C. And if you're interested in checking out what we have to offer, head on over to the website afterwards. And that's it, it's only about 10 to 15 seconds long. And then at the end of each video, I say, uh, you know, if you're still watching and you're interested in checking out the tours that we have, click on the link on the left side of my head and that'll send you over to the website and you can see the tours that we offer. So every video, in a sense, is an advertisement for the tours, but it's not, it's not a blatant commercial for them.
2: Yeah, and I think that's key, isn't it? Because you're giving value before you're actually asking for anything.
0: Yeah, so I try to be extremely liberal with the information. I'm not withholding anything. I'm not saving my best stuff for an ebook or a exclusive course or anything like that. Uh, I do have an ebook that I sell on Amazon, just because some people like everything written down in the same place. But my philosophy is that none of this information is secret. It's just that it's it's hard for people to often find it in one place. And so that's what I'm trying to provide with the videos is to just provide my best tips and travel hacks for people who are coming to visit. No, and it's very useful. You know, I'm
2: going to Berlin in November and I'm like, okay, what do I pack? You know, is it going to be snow? Is it going to be cold? Is it, you know, and you don't always know when you're traveling around the world. I mean, you can check the weather forecast, but when you actually get that advice from someone who's actually in situ that that means a lot. And I can imagine that
0: you get quite a few clicks from your videos to your website and to your tours. Yeah, I think the main traffic source to the website at least to the tours page of the website is from the YouTube videos, from the video descriptions or from the about page on the YouTube channel. Right.
1: Never miss an episode of the show. Subscribe at Torpreneur.com forward slash subscribe.
2: And what software do you use then? So
0: you've filmed the segment. What do you use then to put it into video format? So I take the memory card from my camera, put it into my computer. I got a desktop computer and I have a, piece of software called sony vegas and i like it because it's relatively easy to use it's the first thing i ever learned on there's a large amount of debate in the video creator community about which software is the best and i don't really take a position on that i think the best one is the one that you can use the easiest and uh that's affordable for you so for me that was software called vegas and it's just worked perfectly fine
2: and are there any free software services out there for people that want to put videos together? Like you said, you know, you've got links on the, the top left
0: and everything else. Is there, is there a free version or how much does Vegas cost? I think it costs approximately $50. Uh, it's a one-time lifetime purchase. And so for me, that's perfectly reasonable. The big one in the space is the Adobe Creative Cloud suite of software, and that's Month and it's uh, a a bit pricier than that, especially if you're going to use it for your every day, you know, month after month it adds up. So to me, it was worth it. Uh, Even if it's not the best of the best, it's the best for me because it does what I need it to do.
2: Yeah, I I have the dilemma right now because I edit my podcast, which of course is audio in Adobe Audition, which I love, but you know, it's 24 bucks a month and it mounts up. So it's like, oh, do I just go out and buy Hindenburg or one of the others and just, uh, you know, have the one off hit and then I've
0: got it. Is it? Right, exactly. Uh, up. And what's the learning curve like with Vegas? I had dabbled in making videos many years before I started doing the YouTube videos for the tour business. So for me, it, it, I probably got a lot of practice years ago. And when my family went on vacation, I would make a little compilation video, and it was just for us. It didn't go up online anywhere or anything like that. But that was the practice that I got, so that when I sat down to do this i didn't feel like i was starting from nothing so you know for someone who's starting out maybe just take your phone and go outside and film some clips and bring it back home and see what you can piece together it doesn't have to be fancy it doesn't have to be something that anybody ever sees it's just like anything in life practice makes perfect and the more you can just practice and get used to the software and the features the easier it'll be down the road absolutely so okay so you've shot
2: the video you've edited it, you put it on YouTube. Now what tips do you have? Because I can imagine that I've never really dabbled in the whole YouTube marketing thing at all. I, my podcasts are on YouTube, but that's through my host. I don't really do anything with it. And maybe I should, and maybe I will after this episode. But what tips do you have uh, or recommendations for people? Because you know, obviously you want these videos to get seen. What are some best practices that you could share with us,
0: Rob? Yeah, so there are a ton of YouTube best practices. There are many people who have YouTube channels that are essentially teaching you how to do YouTube and they go over all the best practices. But the most important one that I think I hear all the time and that I have practiced as best I can is post consistently. Because if you just post once or you just throw up a few videos and then leave them alone, it's really never going to gain any traction. It's the posting every single week, week after week, that's really going to help you grow. And the more you grow, the more that YouTube promotes your videos, puts them at the top of the search, and the more that they show up on the suggested, hey, watch this next list when people are watching videos. So for me, posting consistently means posting every Sunday. And I've done that pretty much since the beginning, since spring of 2017. And you know, we're recording this now in late 2019. So it's a big commitment. You know, you have to be willing to put in the work to make a video every single week or make a batch of videos that you can dole out week after week, which is what I do. Because if you don't do that, then that's really going to hurt your chance to grow.
2: And your videos, uh, from what I see, range from kind of four minutes up.
0: How long would you say on average does it take you to, to edit a show? It's a little hard to give an exact number because of the way that I have developed the workflow because I kind of do everything in batches or in pieces. So I'll write a whole bunch of scripts all together, and then I'll record a whole bunch of videos all on the same day, and then move those over to the computer and and edit them in pieces. And so, you know, if I had to guess, I would say it it probably takes a good five to six hours per video to do. And so it's a big time investment. And I know that that's the thing that is a huge turnoff for people, especially when you think about, well, I already am booked full-time running my business. I don't have time to put 6 more hours into doing this. It it can be a big uh hindrance or or at least something that's scary first.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I'm hoping with people listening to to our conversation today that they might be inspired to do it because otherwise, you know, you you would think, yeah, that's a lot of time and it's expensive or I would have thought it's expensive because you'd need the DJI Osmo Pocket and all these gizmos and everything else, but you know, you're sharing today that you don't necessarily need that. So, uh we'll we'll see what happens after this episode. How much is based on keywords? You know, I'm, I'm thinking now SEO head-on, right? But with, with YouTube channels, how important are those
0: keywords? Keywords are very important. And YouTube is the second largest search engine in the world, after Google, of course. So keywords are extremely important, but the way that YouTube returns results is different from the way that Google returns results. So on Google, their main goal is to return the best information for what you're looking for. And on YouTube, their main mission is to return the video that you're most likely to watch, and that's likely to keep you watching more videos. And so that's why you have to really focus in on this idea of creating binge-worthy videos. Because if you can get someone to watch 10 of yours in a row, that is a signal that you've got something going on that your videos need to go to the top. Because once people start with one, they're going to go through and watch 10. And so strategizing around the whole bingeability concept has really been big for me and I think is really a good place to focus when you're thinking about what to produce and how.
2: And I imagine it's a little bit like podcasts where, I mean, we don't know for certain how that, you know, looking behind the curtain of, say, Apple Podcasts and iTunes and how the ranking works. But what I understand is, you know, reviews don't even count that much. It subscribes that they, they look at in terms of ranking. I imagine, because I watch uh, a lot of how to score goals on FIFA 19 or FIFA 20, because I'm rubbish at it, and these guys are always saying, smash the like button, smash subscribe. Um, Is it the same thing then, that the more subscriptions
0: you get, that the more love they're going to give you as as a search engine? So this is uh, an ever-evolving topic of discussion. People are always looking at what's driving the algorithm today, and I think that subscriptions and likes are vanity metrics that don't matter. Uh, YouTube has been pretty clear that the metric that matters the most is the amount of minutes that people watch your videos. And so if you get 100 likes, but people only watched 10 seconds and then clicked off, then they really don't care about those likes. They care about the fact that people are clicking off. So I, I try not to focus on smashing the like button. I don't think I've ever used that term before. Oh, These kids do. These fo- FIFA football kids say that all the time. It's quite funny. Yeah, but but subscribers can have some value beyond just a number in the sense that once they're a subscriber, they can get some alerts from you. You know, you show up in their subscription list. And so there's there's some value to that. A lot of people make videos on YouTube because they're chasing corporate money, because they want the big Squarespace, they want Audible, they want some big corporation to come in and give them a payday. You know, that's a number that they can take to these companies and say, hey, look, I've got a hundred thousand subscribers and that should be worth this amount of money. I'm not focused on that. So I'm happy that the number of subscribers is going and I ask people to subscribe, but it's not my main focus. My main focus is the number of people who are clicking over to the website and looking at tours and booking tours. What would you say is your most popular video in terms of views? Oh, the most popular video by far is how to ride the DC Metro. Really? And like I said, it was the second video that I ever made And so the production quality is definitely not my highest, but it's one that I knew was going to work. And I knew it was going to work because before I started making any videos, I went on YouTube and I just searched for various topics to see what was already out there. And I searched how to ride the DC Metro and there was a video that already had 150,000 views. And I mean, to be completely frank, it, it wasn't good. It was something that someone just made on their vacation. The audio wasn't good. And I just looked at that and I said, I could do way better than this, even without any experience. And I kind of gambled right on that because almost immediately mine took the top spot and has been there ever since.
2: What I like about you, Rob, is you're incredibly observant. You know, you're know, you looking at things wherever you're traveling. So you know, you, you saw videos of this ilk when you were visiting a city and thought, how can I adapt that? You're then going on YouTube and looking for material that you think will be interesting, See how, seeing how someone's doing it and doing it better. And I think that applies to tours. You know, when we go on tours, when we're traveling is to be really observant. What did you like about the tour? What didn't you like? And then when you come home, it's okay. What can I do better than? Because I was looking on TripAdvisor and I think there is, you have, you know, over 200 competitors, right, Rob?
0: It is a competitive market here. And I'm not going to deny that I give essentially the same tour as every other company. So my philosophy when it comes to competition is that if there's competition, it's because there's demand. And I know that people want to do evening monuments tours in Washington, D.C. And I know that because when I was a tour guide working for the other company, that tour booked way more people than all the other tours combined. And so I I just knew that it worked. And so that was the first tour I developed was an evening monuments tour. You know, when I told people about it, some people said, why? Everyone else in the universe already has that. Come up with something new, something unique, something that no one else is doing. But I decided to go with what I knew and what I knew worked. And my philosophy always was it, it doesn't need to necessarily be brand new or state of the art. It just needs to be better than what else is out there. And so I, I took my years of experience as a tour guide, what I know works, what I know doesn't work, and just went with that.
2: Well, you know, I commend you because according to TripAdvisor, you were
0: number nine of 209 tours in Washington, D.C. Impressive. Yeah, when I cracked the top 10, that was a very exciting day because when I started, there were 152 and I was 150 out of 152. And I said, man, I'll be happy if I ever crack the top 50. And then when I did, that was a big day. And then all of a sudden it was top 20 and then finally it was top 10 and it was like I almost couldn't believe my eyes because it it happened so quickly. But I know people enjoy the tour. And I know that because almost every single one of those reviews that you're referencing is a tour that I gave. Yeah, And the
2: rankings at TripAdvisor then, we've talked about algorithms on YouTube. So on TripAdvisor is that heavily
0: based on the reviews? That's how you're going to get ranked? So my understanding is that those are also kind of vanity metrics nowadays because it's really hard to even sort tours by those rankings anymore. They want you to sort them by the ones they want to sell. With the highest commission. Exactly. So I I very, very rarely have a customer who comes on the tour and says, oh, I found you on TripAdvisor, then clicked on the website link and went on your site and booked the tour. It's uh, very rare that I get something like that. Yeah, sure. But what I do
2: like, though, is if I'm in Google, and I guess this is the secret of your source here, is if I type in, for instance, tips for visiting Washington, D.C., And the Google page comes up and the video section is very high up that page. And out of the three videos that are listed there with the thumbnails and everything else, two of the three are
0: yours. Right. So that's a secret of Google that not a lot of people know about is that Google owns YouTube and they're going to put YouTube videos in the search where they think it makes sense. So if you search for what you mentioned or something like what to pack for Washington, D.C., because there's not a lot of other content out there on those topics, they think the videos are what people are most likely to be looking for, or at least the information in the videos. And so they'll send them to the videos straight from Google. Someone doesn't necessarily need to be searching on YouTube. They could be searching on Google and still wind up on the videos. And I'm also aware of the importance of SEO. So I made a big investment this summer into turning the videos into written blog posts, optimized for SEO, optimized for the keywords that I want to Go after. And so, my goal is to not just have those videos embedded in YouTube rise up to the top of the Google search, but to also have my blog posts as well. And each blog post has that video embedded in it. And how is that campaign working out for you? It's been a big success so far. I mean, almost immediately after we started posting the blog post, they started rising to the top because they were very thoroughly researched. I had a paid intern this summer who I gave the keys to the company's HREFS account and She did keyword research on all the topics, made sure that we were targeting exactly what we wanted to go after, and then wrote the posts with those keywords all in mind.
1: Did you know every weekday Shane curates the most interesting news articles in tours and activities and sends them out in a snappy daily digest? Grab your copy of the Tourpreneur Daily Briefing at www.tourpreneur.com.
2: What advice would you have for listeners who can't afford a paid intern, they've got to do it themselves because that's the majority of our listeners that want to work on SEO? Are there any resources out there, any tips that you
0: would share that you felt were successful for your business? I generally look for content that's similar to mine, which is useful content that's just out there that's for free. And you can find a lot of that about SEO. Uh, The tool I mentioned, hrefs, which is definitely not free or even cheap, but they have a YouTube channel where they just go into incredible depth about how to use their tool for exactly what it's for, which is keyword research. So you don't have to use their tool to watch their videos. You can still watch the videos and get the best practices and understand the principles. So just get out there and, and look for information that you think you can apply. Sure, and I will add links to all these
2: resources and tools on our show notes, which you can find at tourpreneur.com forward slash 32. Smash the like button when you're there, please, and subscribe. (laughs) I couldn't resist saying that. Uh, But we'll have all the links on the the show notes for you. So that's hrefs. I'm not familiar with that one, so I'll go and look myself. And I think, you know, on the subject of SEO, I think what I would just, I'm sure you'll agree with me here, is just to be very careful there are a lot of companies out there pitching SEO services that make some quite outlandish promises about what they can do for your business. And I would just say, do your due diligence. If you if you do have budget and you want to spend it on SEO, if somebody promises you number one spot, then
0: run the other direction <laughs> because I just don't think anyone can offer these guarantees, right, Rob? Oh, absolutely not. Uh, most of the spam that comes into my inbox is SEO-related spam. So it's, it's tough to navigate. I wouldn't go with anyone that I didn't trust or at least get a referral from someone I trust because otherwise I think you're not going to have a great time. Yeah, absolutely.
2: And if you, uh, as in our listeners, if you are working with someone who's reputable and done a really good job for you on the SEO front, do drop me a line at, at gmail.com because I'm putting a free directory together. of. It's a bit like Angie's List for those of you in the United States, where people that you've used and have done a good job for you and just have a directory where tour entrepreneur listeners can go and, and check those out. And let me know on whatever aspect of your business. And I'm happy to to add that to the, to the directory. So how much of your business would you say then, Rob, is
0: as a result of your YouTube work? Probably about 90% right wow. now. And I would like to reduce that number. I like to diversify uh, where people are coming in. But... At the beginning, it was 100% because that's where I was putting all my effort. And so it made sense that it's it's high. Uh, but like I said, I don't like having all my eggs in one basket, yeah, just like other tour company owners have learned as TripAdvisor changed their format or the OTAs changed their, how they operate. Uh, it's good to, ha- to have it in different places. Are you working with any OTAs? The only one I'm working with is TripAdvisor, and it was mostly an experiment to see uh, how it would work out. I am fortunate that I am friends with some other tour company owners here in D.C., and they gave me some words of warning about some of the OTAs and cannibalizing your own sales. And I know from listening to Tourpreneur, reading some of the articles in the Daily Digest, that this is a real concern. So I didn't want that to happen to me. I I wanted to go slow and make sure that if this is going to be something I want to pursue, that it's it's really going to work out. So right now, it's only been TripAdvisor. I get almost no bookings through TripAdvisor, even though I do have a sponsored listing because I am a Boken customer. Uh, it really just hasn't really generated much. And I don't know if that's unique to our city or if there's something else that I'm not doing quite right. But Almost all the bookings come straight through the website.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure most uh, true openers listening in will be happy of getting 90% of their business through you know, direct channels, as it were.
0: So you made the videos, and how long was it before they gained any kind of traction for you? It was not right away. I won't sugarcoat this. I had to put up probably five or six videos before they got more than a handful of views apiece. So I, I posted the first video in May 2017, and the first booking that I got didn't come until August 2017. So, in between then, it you know some people were looking at the videos, but there were no tour bookings that came in. It it was a slow process, and in some ways, I'm fortunate and thankful that I did this as a slow growth because it has really allowed me to manage the experience and to make sure that things don't grow out of control too quickly. But it it did take a long time. You really have to have the patience to. Keep putting up a video every single week with the faith that at some point in the future, they're going to get traction and people are going to start watching them, binge watching them, which is really what's most important.
2: Well, I commend you because I was reading an article fairly recently. They talked about pod fade, which is when podcasters give up their shows. And that's average seven episodes, apparently, when people give up, either because you know, generally because the traffic's not there for the same reason with your YouTube channel, unless you're a celebrity driven YouTube show or podcast. You know, you're not going to get that traction immediately. And that's why most people give up. So I commend you for sticking with it. And now you're, you know, it's bearing fruit for you. But that's quite a slog to go those months without getting anything from it, especially when you're saying it's six hours or so per episode to put them together.
0: Yeah, you have to approach it with the idea that you're going to put in a minimum amount of effort. And if it doesn't work after so long, maybe at that point you throw in the towel. But it's got to be longer than seven episodes or seven videos because that's just – it's just going to take longer than that. I mean, like you said, unless you already have a big following on some other social media that's going to follow you over or unless you hit the social media lottery, which – we often hear the stories about people who do. We don't hear the stories about people who don't. It's it's just a long slog. Yeah, absolutely. And you see the likes of Joe Rogan with, I read something the other day, the Joe Rogan podcast is making
2: something like 80 grand an episode with his sponsorships and whatnot. And was like, yeah, I can do that. And then the reality is, no, most of us are not going to do that. And even if you were, it's going to take years to get to that kind of level. I, I wanted to, to dig into another topic with you, if I may. And that's around, so you, you have a full-time job and then you work the tours in the evenings and weekends. So my question to you is, you know, have you ever considered
0: going full-time? Well, it's a business that I think you always consider it could become full-time. And for me, the reason why it was so great to do it sort of as a side thing is that it really takes a lot of the stress out of needing to grow it really quickly. If it's a situation where you quit your job and you put all your eggs in this basket and it's not going well after six months or 12 months, that's stressful because now your life is on the line. you are you got rent to pay. You've got bills to pay. And for me, it was always an opportunity to prove that this is going to work and to grow, but a slow growth so that... It's never been stressful to me in a way that I could imagine it would be if if it was something that I was doing full time yeah and,
2: and and that's that's really important and I, I get a lot of email from what I call two entrepreneurs in waiting that I've got a great idea they're a little nervous about starting, and that's the biggest question I get is you know should I just jump into it and pack my job in and everything else and I always urge people not to do that unless they've got significant savings that they can live off for a while without that pressure of needing to to earn X amount every week. So I really like your approach to this, Rob, because there's nothing worse than worrying about not selling enough tours in order to put food on the table, right? Or pay the rent or keep the lights on.
0: Yeah, and for me, it it kind of was a natural fit because I knew that the most popular tour in Washington, D.C. is the Evening Monuments Tour. And that means I can go straight from my office job right out to the National Mall and give the tour. Now, of course, that's also tough because it means that every single day I give a tour, I'm working a 14, 15 hour day. And uh, that that can be exhausting. And that means that I can't do a tour or offer a tour every single day because that would just be too much. So that has limited the ability to grow a little bit. But I've been fortunate that uh, I've been able to add some more tour guides who've helped pick up the slack. Oh, brilliant. And how do you go about recruiting tour guides? I'm lucky that I know some other tour company owners here in DC. And We uh, try to stick together as small business owners. Our market has some very big players, some big global brands that aren't even headquartered in the country. And so you know, the way I see it is the small businesses, we're not competing with each other. We're competing with the big buses of the world. And so we try to share resources. And I was lucky that one of these companies had found a fantastic tour guide who was looking to pick up extra tours. And uh, I was able to them on board. And how do you instill your values as a tour guide? Because I can imagine if I was running a tour business,
2: you know, it, it's your baby. It's your business. You're building it up and you're giving that trust on you to someone else to take a tour guide out. So how do you go about, I mean, it's great that you have that network, so it's not like you're recruiting someone cold. but how do you instill the values
0: of DC Trip Hacks into the tour guides that you recruit? One of the nice things about having the videos is that it's something that potential tour guides or potential people who want to do the tours can look at and decide for themselves if this is something that seems like it's up their alley. And I just, you know, am pretty honest and open about it. And I say, you know, this isn't necessarily for everybody. And if it's not, that's okay. But I want to make sure that you understand that my values are delivering an excellent tour and giving people an experience that they aren't going to forget. It's It's not an overly complicated set of values. So far, I've been very lucky that everyone who's been interested has definitely shared that. Sure.
2: And were there any barriers, you know, to getting up and running and started I'm thinking, you know, legal setups, licensing? I mean, I don't know what the landscape is in DC, but were there any hurdles you experienced at the start?
0: Well, when I was thinking about doing this, I actually hit a bit of a hurdle because I didn't really want to go through and do all the paperwork and get all the legal stuff set up. So the first thing I actually did before I even recorded a a video was I bought the domain name triphexdc.com. And then I went and applied with tours by locals. And my plan was to have my tours hosted over there and redirect my URL to that. And you know, they said, we can set you up with insurance and we have a payment platform and we'll just take 20% and you'll be on your way. And I thought, perfect for me, you know? And um, I applied for them, and they wrote me back and said, sorry, we've already got enough tour guides in Washington, D.C. We don't don't need any more. And so I said, well, I guess I'm doing this on my own. And so that's when I went and started getting the LLC set up and contacting insurance agents, getting that all going. And so it was kind of by necessity. This was about a year and a half before Airbnb came onto the scene with their experiences, so that wasn't an option at the time. And in some ways, it was a blessing in disguise because... I wouldn't have been able to grow the business if I hadn't sort of been forced to go all in and make this my own brand, my own business, and own everything. How did you go about finding out exactly what you needed to be legal on the streets of DC? Well, I had already been a tour guide in DC for about five years at that point. So I, I knew that you needed the basic business licenses, you needed the liability insurance. And I knew that you needed a tour guide license, which, because we don't have the tour guide exam anymore for a story that you could do an entire podcast on, I imagine. Uh, all I had to do was fill out the form and send in my check for 150 bucks, and I'd be good to go. So that, that part of it was actually, to me, rather easy. Okay, that, that's good to know. Each city
2: is, is very different, of course, with their setup. You mentioned earlier on that you were working
0: with Bokun, Bokun.
2: I'm never quite sure which way it's pronounced. Mm-hmm.
0: Why did you pick them initially? Well, when I was doing exclusively private tours, I didn't use any of the big booking platforms. I bought a WordPress plugin for $29. It's called Team Booking, and it is amazing. It does everything I needed wow. to do. It ran a calendar, it synced right up to my Google Calendar, it linked right into Stripe. I was able to take payments really easily, and it was honestly, it was great. But the one thing that it didn't have was any of the OTA integrations or uh, customer service or anything like that, which I hadn't needed because it had worked perfectly for me. But I wanted to do this experiment, you know, to try to sell on TripAdvisor. And one day I got a message from TripAdvisor and they said, hey, we just bought this company Boken and if you use it, we'll give you a sponsored placement on TripAdvisor. And I said, why not? Let let me give it a try. So I signed up and that's why kind of just how I wound up with them.
2: And what are they like? I'm asking this because you're the first person on Tourpreneur that we've spoken to that's using
0: Bokun. What's your experience like of working with them? I'm looking to switch. It didn't work out for me in the end. I think ultimately that my impression is that they were a small Icelandic company and they were developed for a you know small Icelandic market, maybe a European market. And it, uh, they tried to push it over to the US when TripAdvisor acquired them and it just was very rocky. Just very rough transition for example, one thing that it really frustrated me all all year this year was that the, the time on my website is in 24-hour time, which in that part of the world is perfectly fine. But in the U.S., uh, we don't use 24-hour time. Unless you're in the military, we use 12-hour time. And 95% of my customers are Americans. So when they see that the tour starts at 1,800, they don't know what 1,800 is. And it causes confusion. It makes me look like I'm not professional. And similarly, you know, the calendar starts on Monday, well, in the u s we usually start the calendar with Sunday on the far left, so it didn't look great, and I actually had a few people who canceled when they realized they thought they were signing up for Friday and they actually signed up for Saturday because of the calendar issue so and I know that they're aware of this and they're uh, in the process of, of fixing it, but I think for me it's uh it was an, it was an experiment that didn't really work out. And that's okay. Not everything's going to work out. And so now I'm looking. uh, And that's one of the great things about Tourpreneur is that you're asking everybody what their experience is. And I'm learning a lot about what people like and I can go seek those guys out when I uh, decide to pursue it.
2: And I'm absolutely humbled that a lot of the directors for the booking platform companies listen to the show as well. And I've had emails from, from past guests who said, oh, I had a f- phone call from the director at such and such who you know, took my feedback on board and they're making changes. So I'm always really happy when I hear that. But now maybe you could help me because Arrival is upon us. Uh, I'll be going shortly down to Orlando and I'll be talking to a lot of booking platform companies What questions do you want answered? So as a small tourpreneur, what are you looking for in your perfect
0: booking platform partner? I mean, to be completely honest, that WordPress plugin that I mentioned for a long time was the perfect plugin because it was simple. It looked really nice. uh, It looked professional on my website. It was easy to manage and it was customizable. I could change the colors. I could start the day on Sunday or Monday if I wanted it could show the time, it linked into Stripe. Like To me, that's important is to be able to link it to my Stripe account, not have to deal with a whole other payment processor. Because the customer, I've realized, they don't care if I use Stripe or I use PayPal or I use Square, or they don't care if the booking platform is Boken or Peak or Fair Harbor. They just care that it looks professional and that it looks like I know what I'm doing. And so, I know it sounds simple, but having reviewed some of these and including my own experience with Boken, that it's not always a given. So to me, that's that's really top is just the customer's ultimate experience. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And uh, bringing lots of interviews with booking platform partners
2: from from arrival because I I'm still learning what. Each one is different. They offer different solutions. And I'm, I'm really curious when I speak to a tourpreneur what their experience is like, or what they, what they like, what features they're getting, and also what features they wish they did have. Because there's 160 plus of these guys out there and growing.
1: Want to connect with other tourpreneurs? Then join our Facebook group at tourpreneur.com forward slash Facebook.
2: We're going to trial
0: the first ever speed round. Are you ready for the speed round, Rob? I, I do this on my own podcast. So I am really excited that you are bringing this to tour. Yes, uh, this is uh, by request of our listeners. So uh, here we go. What is a habit trait characteristic you believe contributes to your success? Thinking about this business from a completely different perspective, starting it up and not worrying about booking platforms, OTAs, any of the other industry specific stuff that you talk about all the time on your show. I didn't worry about any of that until recently, once the business was established and I was ready to grow. So just taking it easy, taking it simple, and using a different marketing philosophy, I think, was really the characteristic that was the key to this. Brilliant. What is your biggest weakness? The fact that I am the face of the company is the biggest weakness. And what I mean by that is that when you watch the videos, it's me. It's my face. I'm talking to you. I'm giving you all of the information. So people know me and they want to do a tour with me. But I don't scale. And there's only so many tours that I can personally take. So for a long time, selling the idea that my other tour guides are just as good as me or even better uh, has been tough. And I've been lucky that lately, because my tour guides are so great and they're getting their own independent reviews, that people are finally starting to come around to that.
2: What is one question that you ask or look for during the interview process when hiring tour guides? And by that, I mean, let's say you advertised somewhere and you've got some candidates. What one question would you ask or what would you look for during that process?
0: I would say, send me a link to your best review on TripAdvisor or Yelp or Google or wherever. And that's because, unfortunately, because of the way that I've established the business, I don't have the time to do full-blown training. So I can only bring on guides that already have experience and I am willing to pay them what they're worth, which is a lot more than I earned when I was a tour guide, uh, getting going. But it's worth it because uh, I want people who are good, who are proven to be good, and who uh, I can count on.
2: What is your biggest challenge in your business
0: or what keeps you awake at night? The biggest challenge is time. Because I have a full-time job, which means that I don't have all of those hours in the week to work with. And protecting my time is an especially big challenge because of the videos. People email me, they leave comments, they contact me all the time, and they want me to help them with their trips. And unfortunately, I'm not a travel agent and I don't make money off of helping people one-on-one. I've I've really got to sell them a tour in order to make it work. So protecting my time and making sure that uh, I can focus it on the things that I need to focus on to, to grow the business is. The biggest challenge.
2: Do you have any tips for how you protect your time? Because I know this is
0: something that all of us tourpreneurs really struggle with. So what I do is I try to bring all the contact to me through the website, through a contact form. And I will filter the messages into two buckets. One is people who are asking questions about tours. And the other is people who are asking general travel questions. And the people who are asking questions about tours, I respond to as quickly as possible because I want to make sure that they get a fast response, that their questions are answered, and that they eventually, ultimately book a tour. The people who are just asking me what hotels I like or something about you know, transportation, I put those into a separate pile, and I do respond to everyone. Everyone who contacts me gets a response, but those I will save for a moment that I have the time available to do it. Have you ever considered, uh, this isn't part of the speed run, but have you ever considered a virtual assistant for that? Yes, absolutely, and that's also one of the big challenges that is that I don't have a phone number advertised on the website. And I know that this is probably costing me some sales because some people like to speak on the phone before they close a sale. But unfortunately, what I realized when I started was people were calling the number to talk to me about planning their trip and not to talk to me about booking tours. And I didn't wanna be rude and say, I'm sorry, I don't have time for you. But you know when, when you pick up the phone, you could be in the middle of something else and you've got to drop everything to take this person's call. And after a few 30-minute long calls that ultimately didn't end in a booking or anything close to it, I realized I just couldn't do it anymore. So a virtual assistant would certainly be helpful in that regard. I have considered it, but haven't really pursued it seriously yet. Great. Now
2: that's a subject I do want to look at on a future episode of the show. So if any of our listeners have worked with a VA, and got some tips to share, particularly in terms of how you hire and vet them. Because you know, when I hear your challenge there, Rob, I'm thinking if you had a VA that took care of all the questions that came in about what to do in DC and the tips, and you had stock answers to these questions that you know you know, someone's taking care of that, then you can focus on the ones coming in. I think that's a topic we'll tackle
0: on another episode of the show. What is one book you recommend for other tourpreneurs? So this one is specific to people who are similar to me, And it's Side Hustle by Chris Gillibo. And it's because it really makes it feel like you can do this. Like starting a business is not dropping everything and going crazy with all the legal stuff and the paperwork. It can be simple and you can grow it slowly. And so that book was just really inspirational, but also had a lot of great examples of people who have done it in real life. Yeah, I love his podcast. And I will link
2: to your episode when uh, your story was featured on his, his podcast as well. But I haven't read the book, so I'll have to add that to my, on my long-to-be-read list. What app do you
0: recommend for other tourpreneurs? So it's not an app that you can download from the Apple Store, but I mentioned it earlier. It's called Hrefs, and it's one that I use every day. Because SEO is so central to my strategy, I need to make sure that I'm on top of it. And the tool, even though, like I said, it's not free and it's not cheap, it's worth it to make sure that I'm always on top of the keywords that I'm trying to target, that the growth is up, you know, that everything's the way that I want it to look. So Ahrefs is the one tool that I use more than any others. What does that cost each month, do you know? Uh, I believe it is $99 per month. Right, which is a lot cheaper than an SEO agency. So what podcast do you recommend for other entrepreneurs? I really like Spectacular Failures. I know it's kind of the anti how I built this. Uh, And I like it because they cover businesses that failed instead of the happy success stories. Even though it might seem a little dark, there's just some incredible nuggets in there about what not to do. To me, some of the most useful advice is often the what not to do. Yeah, I agree.
2: What is one thing you feel tour operators do not do well enough or often enough?
0: I think tourpreneurs focus sometimes too heavily on the competition and the market saturation. And as a result, they wind up with really niche tours that are just really hard to sell. My philosophy has always been that if there's competition, it's because there's demand. And it just means that you need to be better than the competition.
2: What is one piece of technology you have adopted that has had the biggest impact on your business and why?
0: Well, I would say it's the not-so-fancy GoPro camera that I mentioned earlier. I wouldn't have been able to do any of what I've done without some kind of camera. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And what are your parting words of wisdom today based on your experience for, for other tourpreneurs who are listening to us today?
0: Get some experience in the industry as a tour guide. I started my business after having almost five years of my own tour guiding experience and it just saved me so many headaches that I know that I would have run into if I wasn't already familiar with the industry, if I wasn't familiar with what sells and what doesn't, and if I just didn't know how to give a good tour. Fantastic advice. Where can people follow you online and where can they book a tour with you? The website is triphacksdc.com. That's the name of the YouTube channel, and all the social medias, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I know you're going to put a link to everything in the show notes, so people can head on over to tourpreneur.com slash 32. 32, yeah. 32, and get the links uh,
2: right over there. Fantastic. Is there anything we haven't covered on today's episode that you would like to chat about before
0: we wrap up? No, Shane, I'm so happy that you were able to include me on Tourpreneur. I uh, like I told you, I have listened to every episode. I know people probably tell you that every time, but this is just an incredible resource. I can't get enough of it and look forward to many, many great stories in the future.
2: Well, well, thank you very much. That means a great deal to me. And I'm a huge fan of DC because I'm a bit of a history and politics nerd. So next time I'm down there, I'm definitely going to be going on one of your trips. We'll arrange it so that you're leading the tour. And, Absolutely. Uh, I would love to come and experience maybe your, your evening trivia trip. That sounds like a lot of fun. I
0: look forward to it.
1: Thanks for listening to the Torpreneur podcast. Be sure to visit torpreneur.com to join the conversation and access the show notes, including links to the resources mentioned on today's episode. This is Torpreneur.